Hey guys, it's JM here. And uh, once again, we had a snafu at Roots Grits Bible study today. So I'm re-recording the lesson mainly for those of you following along on our YouTube channel and on our podcast so that you can catch up and not have a gap when you get to Joshua chapter nine. Ripken has decided to join us. Uh, so we don't know how long he'll be here with us, but uh, Rip, you want to say hey to the audience? Nope. He's just going to sit here. So we're in Joshua chapter 9 is what we looked at today. And Joshua chapter 8, after the battle of Ai, the second battle of Ai, Israel seemed vulnerable. So the first time the battle with Jericho, you know, all the kings, the text says that the hearts of the kings melted. And Rahab told the spies, you know, everybody's freaking out because of you. But then after the events that we looked at last chapter, when Israel lost the battle at Ai, because of the sin of Achan, taking some of the what was harem to God, um, all of a sudden the kings of the Canaanites realized, hey, these people aren't invulnerable; that that they can be beaten, because the people of I beat them the first time, and so part of the result of Achan's sin was now that Israel was seen uh, as being vulnerable, being able to be overcome. And so what we read in Genesis, not uh, Genesis, in Joshua chapter nine is that says now when all the kings west of the Jordan heard and NIV says heard about these things giving a little clarification Hebrew just says when when all these kings heard those in the hill country in the western foothills and along the entire coast of the great sea as far as Lebanon the kings of the Hittites Amorites Canaanites Perizzites Hivites remember that term Hivites it'll come into play in a little bit and Jebusites they came together to make war against Joshua and Israel. So all the kings now hear about everything, everything we've been reading so far, and they come together to make war against Joshua and Israel. However, verse 3, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and I, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. The men put worn and patched sandals on their feet and worn old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and crumbly. Uh, NIV says moldy, but crumbly is probably the more accurate translation. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal. This would be the Gilgal that was mentioned in Deuteronomy 11.30, the Gilgal near where the covenant ceremony that was at Mount uh, Ebal and Mount Gerizim just took place. Previous chapter, check the last video for that. But this Gilgal, not the other Gilgal over near Jericho. There are a lot of Gilgals in the Bible. Um, <clears throat> it just means a rounded place. So it could have been an encampment. It could have been any kind of encircled area. But they go to Joshua at Gilgal. And they go dressed in all this old gear, this old clothes, worn out, uh, their bread's old and stale and crumbly and their wineskins are cracked. And they just, they, they, they dress themselves up to look like they are on death's door, basically, like they've been traveling forever. And they went to Joshua at the camp at Gogol and they said to him and the man of Israel, we have come from a distant country, make a treaty with us. So they're asking now to enter into a suzerainty vassal treaty. Those of you that have been following along with this podcast, you know what a suzerainty vassal treaty is. They're asking to be Israel's vassal, Israel's servant. They're asking to enter into a formal treaty with Israel, where Israel is the, the suzerain, the, the, and they're the vassal. 
they said, the men of Israel said to the Hivites, and that's the narrator letting you know these are not people from far away. These are Hivites. These are people of Canaan. Hivites were the, the particular peoples of Canaan that were listed for destruction. The Hivites were among those people. And so the Gibeonites were a subset of the Hivites. So the narrator is letting us know these are people who Moses was commanded and Joshua is upholding this command at this covenant renewal ceremony that they just had in the last chapter to drive out and to show no mercy and to consider Harem, the Hivites. So <clears throat> the men of Israel said to these Hivites, but perhaps you live near us. How can we make a treaty with you? Like Israel just ratified the covenant with Yahweh in the last chapter. And part of that covenant, Deuteronomy 20, was you don't make treaties with the people in the land. You can make treaties with other people far away. Instead of going to war, you can settle things peacefully, offer terms of peace. All of this is in Deuteronomy 20. But you don't make treaty with any of the Canaanites. That was part of the covenant. And so the Hivites, the Gibeonites responded. They said, we're your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, who are you? Where do you come from? Well, they answered, your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. So they, they use a little flattery and misdirection. They, uh, it's like I told the group today, it's like when somebody's like, yeah, I have a girlfriend. Oh, really? Where does she live? Uh, far away. You've never met her. It's that kind of thing. Like they're like, where are you? Where do you come from? Well, far away. But we've heard about the wonders of your God. We've heard about, you know, so they immediately kind of shift and start using flattery and, um, and it works because they say, uh, your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God, for we have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sihon king of Heshbon, Og king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth, and our, that was in the book of Numbers, those of you that were following along, the kings in the Transjordan, which Israel did rout and destroy. Verse 11, and all our elders and those living in our country said to us, take provisions for your journey, go and meet them. Say to them, we're your servants, make a treaty with us. So they're presenting themselves as a delegation from a far off group of people who've heard of the fame of God and who want to enter into covenant with God's people. That was, remember, think back to the promise of Abraham. In you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so this is almost coming across as if this is happening. You know, they're, they're you know, from a faraway nation. We've heard of the God of Israel. We want to enter into covenant. Seems great. It seems like the Abrahamic promise coming to happen. And they, verse 12, they said, This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you. But now, see how dry and crumbly it is? And these wineskins that were filled were new, but now see how cracked they are? And all our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. <clears throat> so the men of Israel, verse 14, the men of Israel sampled their provisions. Here's the key, but did not inquire of the Lord. So the men of Israel listened to their story. They checked it out. Okay, let's do a little check. Uh, looked at the provisions. Okay, it seems good. It seems right. It seems like what you're saying is true. We'll just do a little ocular pat down. Okay, everything's good. And then, but they did not inquire of the Lord. This would have been the, the, this would have been the time to go to Eliezer, the high priest, and say, hey, we need to seek the Lord on this. We're about to enter into a treaty. We, people of the treaty with God, are now being asked to enter a treaty. 
that's when you would want to consult your suzerain if you were about to become suzerain to another vassal, for sure. They don't do that. Verse 15, then Joshua made a treaty of peace, of shalom, with them and let them live. And the elders of the assembly ratified it by an oath. So now they officially become, a suzerainty vassal treaty is officially made and it's sealed for good and ratified with an oath, which would have been on the, based on the name of God, taking God's name, and by, you know, by God in heaven, we will be, uh, we will let you live. We will enter into a treaty of peace with you. It's a very serious thing. There would probably have been a meal, a celebration, or some type of ratification ceremony, and now these two have become one. They have been joined together in covenant, Israel and the Gibeonites who were Hivites. Verse 16, three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. The Israelites set out on the third day, came to their cities, Gibeon, Kephirah, Beeroth, and Kiriath Yarim. The Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. But the whole assembly grumbled against the leaders. But the leaders answered, we've given them our oath by the Lord, God of Israel. We cannot touch them now. So this is what we'll do to them. We'll let them live so that the wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. And they continued, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for our entire community. So the leader's promise to them was kept. So the people are upset because these are Canaanites. We've entered into the promised land. We're to drive out the Canaanites. These are Canaanites. They tricked us and you entered into this treaty with them. And now look, they're right here in our midst. How can we fulfill the covenant that God told us to do because of this oath that you've made? So God's people are put in a bind here. And this chapter is really interesting because there's so much ambiguity. We want to know what does God think about this? And we don't really get a lot of uh, direct comment. That's common in the historical books of the Bible. You don't always get so-and-so did this, and this is what God thinks about it. You get mixed accounts. You get mixed reports. You get people doing good things, people doing bad things, and people doing things that you aren't sure if they're good or bad. And that's part of the ambiguity and the messiness and the, the, the reality of the Bible is it doesn't give you a nice, neat fable. If you were, I told the group today, if you were making up a nationalistic history about your people and how awesome they were, you wouldn't put a story like this in there. This is, this is too, it's not wrapped up nice and neat. There's no moral. There's no fable. There's, there's your people being caught in this weird situation where they have to honor their word because they've sworn it by the Lord God, but they did it after not seeking the Lord God on what they should do in the first place about these people and whether they were being truthful or not. And at the same time, the Gibeonites are held up almost, as we're going to see in a minute, almost as exemplary. Um, they're, they're almost at least, it, it's like there's a wink on the uh, eye of the narrator saying they were pretty crafty. These Gibeonites, they, they saved themselves. Uh, similar to Rahab, they, they don't have the full confession that Rahab had, but their story is very similar to Rahab's story back in chapter 2, where through their cunning, through their trickery, which are things that were prized in the ancient Near East and still are today in the, in the Near East, trickery and cunning and, and being crafty is seen as a good thing, especially if it saves the lives of you and your family and your people and your clan and your cities. So it's this very ambiguous chapter 
Joshua chapter 9. And so Joshua then speaks up. Verse 22, Joshua summoned the Gibeonites and said, why did you deceive us by saying we live a long way from you? Well, actually you live near us. You are now under a curse. You'll never cease to serve as woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. So Joshua is like, your punishment is you're going to do the menial labor in the house of God, in the tabernacle, woodcutters for cutting wood for the fire sacrifices and gathering water for the washing of the priests and the cleansing of the sacrifices. These are not easy work in this part of the world, in this time in history, gathering wood and uh, carrying water. And so he asked them, why'd you do this? They answered, verse 24, they answered, your servants were clearly told how the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you the whole land and to wipe out all its inhabitants from before you. So we feared for our lives because of you. That's why we did this. We're now in your hands. Do to us whatever seems good and right to you. So Joshua saved them from the Israelites and they didn't kill them. That day he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the community and for the altar of the Lord at the place the Lord would choose. And that is what they are to this day. Now, this is another one of those fascinating little glimpses in the Old Testament of Gentile pagans who shouldn't know anything about God or Torah or the specifics of the covenant. And yet somehow, verse 24, your servants were clearly told how the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you the whole land and wipe out all its inhabitants. That's Deuteronomy. These pagan Gentiles know Torah. They know enough Torah to know that they need to be on the side of the one who gave the covenant. It may not be full on faith, but it's the fear of the Lord. And Proverbs will say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And they fear the Lord. And that's why the Gibeonites, they're allowed to remain. They are actually incorporated into Israel. And when the Levitical towns are given later in Joshua, in chapter 21, we're going to read that Gibeon becomes one of the Levite cities, the Levitical cities. And then when Israel goes into exile, the Gibeonites go into exile with them. When Israel comes back from exile, Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 7, you can read when it talks about the ones who came back and rebuilt the wall. The Gibeonites are listed among those who came back and rebuilt the wall. They tied their their covenant knot with Israel. And for for better or for worse, they remained with Israel. In fact, God punished Israel when King Saul reneged on this oath and actually tried to wipe out the Gibeonites. God punished Israel for that. So God takes these oaths very seriously, even when they're done against a previous command he's given. See, his command for judgment of the Canaanites gets superseded in this instance and in the instance of Rahab by his mercy on those Canaanites that turn to God. Even if it's a a paltry, not fully understanding, I'm just scared for my life. I know God's on your side and not on the side of our gods like Moloch or Chemosh or Baal or Asher or any of that. And so I want to cast my lot with you. Well, at this point in time, that's enough to preserve their life. And so God does. God actually honors the vow that Israel makes at the deception of the Gibeonites. It's such an ambiguous story. We want to make everything again. We want to make everything a VeggieTales episode, you know, like nice and neat and a quick moral lesson. And here's right and here's wrong. And, and, and oh, my gosh, our society is 
ingraining in our minds that we have to see the world through uh, a one of two. Everything's everything's one way or the other, right or wrong, black and white. And if you're for this guy, then you must be against this guy. If you voted for him, then that means you must hate these people. And if you voted for them, that means you must hate these people. And if you believe this about this issue, then you have to be this. It's all or nothing. And stories like this in Scripture show much closer or reflect much closer to the human condition, which is that the line between good guys and bad guys isn't between us and them. It cuts right down the center of each person, cuts down the human heart. And within us, there's the capacity for good and there's the capacity for evil. There's ambiguity. There's actions where we act sometimes in ways that aren't the best, but we acted the best we knew at the time. Israel thought that they were being faithful to Deuteronomy's rules in chapter 20 about how you should treat people from far off if they come to make a treaty with you. They didn't realize they were being deceived. But they didn't inquire about the Lord, so there's a little bit of culpability on their part as well. The narrative just leaves it up in the air, and that's one of the things I like about the Old Testament, is it gives us this reality of human condition. And then we only get to see, well, what does God think about this? We don't get it right in this chapter, but rather we get it as we look at the whole span of Old Testament history and what God does towards these people, the Gibeonites. And how they are brought into Israel and how, once again, another example from the Old Testament itself, that basis uh, that your that your membership in covenant Israel is not based on ethnicity. It's not based on genetics. It's based on covenant faith. It's based on entering into covenant agreement. And so you can have pagans like Rahab or the Gibeonites who become part of Israel. And you can have Israelites of Israelites like Achan and his family who are destroyed, who are cut off, because ethnicity matters for nothing in the kingdom of God. That's why John the Baptist and Jesus both said, God God can raise up descendants of, of Israel from these rocks if he wanted to. Covenant faith is what matters, not ethnicity. And so the Gibeonites are just one other example in this book that's all about Israel and, and, and their nationalistic conquest of the land. This is the last type of story you would expect to find if somebody was making up a nationalistic military land grant history like we see in the ancient Near East. This is the last thing you'd expect to find, and yet it's what we find here in Joshua. One of the things that makes me um, more convinced than anything that Scripture is inspired and true and does reflect um, not just a book written by people, if it were just a book written by people, you wouldn't find something like this. You would find something like you see in the other ancient Near East accounts that are similar to Joshua. But you don't. You see a very ambiguous, interesting, weird story that we're left as readers to wrestle with. Like, who's who? What, what do we make of this? And the, the thing that I, I walk away with is that God's mercy superseded his judgment. Because these Hivites, which was a subset of the Canaanites, who Israel was being sent in to judge, these particular Hivites, the people of the Gibeon, people of Gibeon, as opposed to the kings of the Canaanites and the Amorites. The kings are the ones who wanted to go to the war. The kings are the ones who always send people into battle. The kings are the ones who are always ready to wage war. But the people under those kings, in this case of the Hivites, said, no, that's a bad idea. We want peace. Even if it means we have to be servants, that's better than being slaughtered. 
And so they approach Israel. Now they do it through Middle Eastern trickery, deceit, craftiness, uh, which again, it's, in some cultures, it's seen as a virtue and they're praised for their actions, for their craftiness, just like Rahab was praised for hiding the spies and then sending the soldiers the other way. Um, but regardless, here again, we have just another story of people who shouldn't have any relationship with God or any knowledge of the covenant somehow becoming one with God's people and entering into the kingdom. And it's a fascinating story. So that's it. Again, sorry the video didn't record today live. Uh, it was probably much more exciting and better preaching and teaching it in front of a live audience. But I wanted to make sure that the podcast followers who are following along at least got this section of Joshua, Joshua chapter 9. So we'll see you next week, hopefully live again, for Joshua chapter 10, a very strange and fascinating event that's going to happen. But it's going to follow right on Joshua 9 because this treaty that Israel makes with the Gibeonites immediately is going to be put to the test, this vassal suzerainty treaty. So Rip's growing restless. That means it's probably time to wrap it up. Yeah. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in. Bye.